How can your business cultivate the kind of passionate, loyal fans that a major sports organization like the San Francisco 49ers is able to do all the time. Alex Chang, the chief marketing officer of the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers um, were the oldest professional sports team in the Bay Area. Uh, we're celebrating our 76th uh, anniversary this upcoming season. Obviously we play in the NFL, <laughs> as I'm sure you uh, know well. Um, we're one of the most successful franchises in NFL history with five Lombardi trophies. Um, we've been in the Super Bowl the past three years, NFC Championship game, two out of the past three years. Um, we are based in Santa Clara in Silicon Valley. Um, it's where our stadium and our headquarters are, but obviously we are, we're lucky to have a fan base that spans not just the Bay Area, but uh, the entire world. What's it like working for the 49ers? I mean, like, you know, those of us on the outside, we see this. It must be so exciting. I think being able to work in sports is a blessing in itself. Um, it's an amazing industry. It's super dynamic, great people, a um, lot of great relationships. Uh, obviously, it's something that's you know core to uh, culture uh, for not just the U.S. but the world. And then the 49ers specifically, what makes it amazing, honestly, the organization and the people. You know, not every um, professional sports team is the same. You know, from an organizational standpoint, because they're really all just these you know family-owned you know, mid-sized businesses that happen to be in the billion dollar industry of the NFL. But, you know, we're a pretty small company when you look at just actual headcount, maybe 300 some odd people uh, non-football side. Um, and so, you know, when you're working an organization that size, the culture matters um, and it's going to vary from organization to organization. And I can tell you that the culture here is uh, phenomenal. It's one that's grounded in innovation, it's grounded in collaboration, uh, empathy, um, and it's really progressive uh, in terms of how uh, we think about building out our team and, and the culture of the organization. So um, it's been awesome. This is my now fourth season coming up uh, working with the team, and uh, it's been incredible. You mentioned that there's this very close family feeling, and you've worked in a, in a bunch of different industries. And so how is working in pro sports different from any other industry? You know, as you said, I've worked in large global companies in the past. So I spent a lot of my career at American Express. I worked at Samsung. I was at a couple sports marketing agencies working on big clients like Verizon and Microsoft. I mean, to me, I think, obviously, I said before, the size is just different. It's a small organization, which means it's much more close-knit. Um, you kind of know everybody, you know, versus in a 10,000 or 20,000 person company, that's going to be impossible. So you know everyone, you work with everyone. It does have that sort of, like I said, mid-sized company um, feel. I think beyond that, from a pure marketing perspective, this is my first time working for a team. Now, I've done sports marketing before from the brand side. I've worked at sports marketing agencies, so kind of different parts of the ecosystem there. But this is my first time working on the team side. And I'll tell you this, as a marketer, it's really fulfilling because the team really has, I think, the closest connection to the fan or to the end consumer, right, of all the parts of the ecosystem. Certainly sponsors and brands are part of that relationship and media companies are part of it venues are a part of it but ultimately who has the closest connection to the end fan is really the team right in some cases the players and so to be able to be on that side of the table and kind of be on that part of the relationship with the end fan is is pretty amazing i have to imagine that one of the significant differences is the level of emotional connection that fans have with the team as opposed to you know we might have an emotional connection with i don't know our our toothpaste but it's so vastly different when it comes to sports the relationship that we have and sort of you know you talk about like hearts minds and wallets and the, and the heart is like the thing you want to get to right as a brand as a marketer what you want to achieve is that really close emotional connection with the consumer and i would argue that nothing does that more effectively than sports 
You know, I use these real life examples all the time, but how many things will people choose a tattoo onto their bodies? Right? How many logos would people choose to wear proudly on a hat or a sweatshirt or hang a flag in front of their house or put a bumper sticker on their car? There are so many amazing brands uh, in our world and so many brands that have great brand loyalty. But you think about the ones that people truly feel like are part of their identity. It's kind of who they are. Um, it's how they think about bonding with their friends and their families, but the community they're part of. Sports does that. Um, and so it's, it's really powerful. And you know, again, as a marketer and, and someone who's a brand steward, for our team, I take that responsibility and that relationship very seriously. You talk about this loyalty and the passion. So who are your fans? How do you, how do you think about your fans? You think first and foremost about our, our, our ticket buyers, right? Our season ticket members, our single game buyers, our suite owners, people who are coming to our games, right? So we have about 70,000 seats here at Levi's Stadium. We have 10 games a year here. And so, you know, at the kind of core, you have those folks who are coming in, seeing us every week or every other week on Sundays to join us for that kind of those, those moments, right? That really hero uh, product for our team, the live games. Outside of that, we've got tens of millions of fans who don't come to Levi Stadium, who can't come to Levi Stadium, um, who are really a big part of our brand as well, right? The strength of our brand isn't just in the 70,000 that physically come here for the games, it's also the tens of millions who are rooting for the 49ers, who follow us, um, who, you know, again, we're a big part of their lives, right? And one of the things they're very interested in. And then beyond that, I think about, you know, I guess what we traditionally call prospects, right? In, in traditional business sense, potential fans, right? Fans for the future. And that's a really big focus as well. Um, today, you know, the number of things competing for those hearts, minds, and wallets um, of the next generation are literally endless, right? And so I think about my kids, I have three kids, all under the age of 12, and the amount of things that are competing for their attention now, we think about social media, mobile apps, gaming, influencers, so on and so on and so on, the endless stream on, you know, on content streaming platforms, there's just so much out there, right? Versus, you know, when I grew up, all we had really was sports. Um, and so for us, as we're thinking about all of our different audiences, certainly those who help drive our business today, i.e. people coming to the games in the center, other people now who are actively engaged with us, in the world, in the next ring, and then outside of that is going to be the next generation who will kind of continue to feed that funnel. So what do these fans want from you? I think it's to help, you know, them be closer to what they love, the 49ers. You know, and you think about kind of those people who are rooting for our team, who want to be, a, you know, a part of our family and part of our 49er community, they want to get closer to that, you know? And I think, you know, we're really fortunate in that we have the ability through social media and through digital and social content to allow people to get closer, right? To feel like they have more information. Again, you think about, you know, when I was a kid, you got information through a daily newspaper, you know, you'd watch maybe Sports Center, And so you're getting things, but it's bits and pieces and it's very, um, it's very filtered, it's very curated. Now there's a lot more um, access, right? Whether it's through the team itself or through the players and their platforms. So I think the more people can feel like they're really a part of what we're doing here, that they're in the loop in terms of things that are happening here, um, I think that's what they're looking for. You know, when you think about people who are coming to our games, I think it's really about making that moment special for them, right? Like there's nothing like a live event um, and the kind of that feeling you get, um, you know, when you're in that moment with fellow fans, 70,000 people cheering the team on, um, it's a pretty amazing thing. Something you share with your family and with your friends, something memories that will last forever. Um, so we want to make sure for those folks that we give them the best experience possible. So you, you said making the moment special. Is that kind of the, the essence of the whole thing here? It is. Yeah, you nailed it. You know, so our kind of, you know, our why is about creating meaningful moments that inspire and connect. Right. And so you think about that. 
And those moments don't just have to be at the live game. Those moments can be, you know, when you're on our social media platforms or reviewing a piece of content from us, or you're at one of our community outreach events. But you think about sort of how the fans engage with their favorite sports teams, like the 49ers, it's all about those moments, right? Small and big, and what those moments mean to them and why they choose to spend time doing those things. Um, and our job is to make those meanings, uh, those moments matter, right? Make sure that they are meaningful. And so the expression of these special moments, as you're saying, comes in many, many different forms. And it, and it sounds to me as you're talking like you think about the expression of those moments in many different ways. You know, nutritionally in sports, there's a, there was a heavy emphasis, and understandably so, on live game attendance, right? Getting butts in seats, you know, from a sales perspective and then customer experience from a live game perspective. And that still is, again, very core and very central to what we do. But we have to remember that the strength of our brand isn't just um, hinged on those people who can come to the games. And so when we start thinking about broader audiences who are engaging with us, that is part of the experience too, even if there isn't a live component to it, even if that's someone who's always going to just see us, you know, live games at home or they're only going to follow us in social, that's okay. Like that's still part of the experience in terms of how people engage with us. And we have to be thinking about that just as much as we're thinking about those who are here live. You know, I think this, this question of how do we reduce the distance between our fans and our customers with our brand is fundamental to many organizations. What lessons are there in this that that those of us who are not in sports can learn from your example? No matter what industry and in, whatever product or service you offer, you're part of people's lives, right? Like, and 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 you mean something to them, right? And they're choosing to invest their time or their money in your brand. Um, and I know it's hard for, you know, because there's, you know, again, tens and millions of customers that are out there. So it's not, it's not about necessarily having to develop one-on-one -on -one relationships with every single customer that you have, but understanding them, you know, on that level as, as a relationship and not as a transaction, I think it's critical, you know, because ultimately, if you think about it that way as a relationship versus a transaction, I think it kind of allows you to up-level a little bit in terms of how you think about that relationship, right? And what that two-way street looks like. If you think about it as purely transactional, then you take the emotion out of it, you take the empathy out of it. I think that's going to show um, when it comes to customer experience. You know, we had as a guest on this show, Jonathan Becker, who is the president of uh, the San Jose Sharks. And I'm struck because he made the exact same comment that you just did. It was very emphatic that we, he said, we treat fans as a relationship, not a transaction. And the fact that you're both saying this tells me that out there in the general world, we do tend to f treat our customers as transactions rather than as an ongoing relationship. Any, any thoughts on that? I think that's right. And you can't generalize, obviously. Every brand is different. And I do think you're seeing brands of all shapes and sizes start to understand the relationship um, a little bit strongly. I think they're starting to understand transparency, starting to understand expressing brand values, starting to understand purpose-based marketing and branding. Like all of those ideas, um, I think are starting to percolate across all industries, right? You start to see a lot of brands talking about not just what they do, but why they do what they do, right? And sort of the purpose behind it and, and, and how they're making a difference. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, when you think about some size of companies, I've worked with some really large global companies and you know, when you're out there selling, you know, hundreds of millions of smartphones or televisions or appliances every year, um, it can become, you know, transactional. It becomes down to a spreadsheet and numbers 
um, very quickly because of the scale of the business, but that's something that you have to really fight against um, and really think through no matter how large your business is, how do you ultimately, you're thinking about your strategy and how you build out customer experiences, like think about it at an individual level. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so we can tell you about upcoming shows. You know, during the show, you can ask questions of our amazing guests. You can ask whatever you want. So join us for the live show. Go to CXOTalk.com, hit the subscribe button at the top, subscribe to our newsletter, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. How do you then keep that focus on the customer relationship as opposed to the transaction? Because I have to assume somewhere in the 49ers organization, somebody's counting revenue and you have the same pressures as every anybody else that's running any type of organization or business. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, we're, we're running a business like anyone else and it's, it's a successful business. But in running that business, one of the key things that we focus on is understanding the customer and getting customer insights. We have a really robust team here in-house I'm called our business strategy and analytics team. And one of their core missions is to help us really understand the voice of the customer. On top of that, the NFL at a league level provides us a ton of insights as well. And this is through kind of primary and secondary research, both our fans and NFL fans and sports fans at large. Um, and then we hear directly from our fans quite a bit and we engage and encourage that conversation as well. Um, so I think, you know, we have a lot of different data sources that we take in to account when we're making decisions about our business. You know, ultimately, we'll make sure that our business is, um, is healthy and we'll make sure that our fans have a great experience. But we want to make sure we balance both. What are the kind of lessons that we can take away? Let's talk now about understanding our customers. We were talking about data and analytics. How do we understand our customers? How do you understand your fans? For a lot of it's just getting firsthand or secondary research and information and looking at kind of what kind of feedback are we getting um, as it relates to our the experience they have with us. I think we're looking at um, engagement, you know, my world with marketing across different channels to understand like how are people engaging with us, what's compelling them to be a part of a conversation when it comes to the 49ers, what are the things the most interested in, want to learn more about. Um, we're taking all that information in real time and figuring out how we adjust our approach based on that. And that approach might be something related to our ticketing or our concessions or our live game entertainment. It could be related to the type of content that we're focusing on um, from a social media standpoint um, or how we're optimizing our mobile app. You know, everything that we have out there today has to constantly evolve and grow. We can't just say, well, like we built something, it should work fine, we're the NFL, it'll be great and just let it go. Like everything has to be a constant iteration uh, and, and improvement. So there's a combination of, of research data, as well as actually speaking with your fans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of it also is looking at best practices. You know, like we're, it's interesting. I didn't realize this because you know, I come from the brand side where everyone's competing with everyone. On the sports side, it's a lot of collaboration, even within the NFL. And so a lot of it is working with my colleagues at other NFL clubs or working in other um, sports teams or leagues to understand best practices and what kind of what they're seeing as well. There's a lot of camaraderie uh, when it comes to that, a lot of best practices sharing that um, I find really, uh, really valuable. Alex, you mentioned purpose. Can you elaborate on that and mission? Tell us about that aspect of it. A lot of brands are doing today, which is really thinking through, you know, kind of the why, um, the how, and the what, you know, because I think what is very simple for most, which is what product or service do you offer, but why you do what you do and how you go about doing it. Um, this is all Simon Sinek stuff that you guys are all super familiar with, but I think those those questions are important to answer. And it's not just in terms of informing 
kind of how you go to market and how you present yourself to consumers. It's also about your employee base, right? And thinking about how, what's motivating them, right? If someone coming to work here um, is only motivated, by, well, their goal is to sell as many tickets as they can tomorrow. Well, that's only going to get them so far, right? But if you can elevate that to say, you know what, it's not really about selling the tickets, it's about providing these moments for people that they'll never forget and these mo meaningful moments that inspire and connect. Well, that's a higher level of purpose. Um, I know sometimes for brands it can be hard because sometimes that higher level purpose can feel like a stretch, right? I don't wanna make the world a better place and these kind of like very vast, vague statements. Um, but we're fortunate, like we know that what we do creates moments because we see them every day, every moment. You know, every Sunday I see people and I see the moments we're creating. I see these families and kind of the memories that we're making for them. Every day you know, on social media, we see people engaging with our content. We see people encouraging us or cheering on our team or our guys. So I know that these are moments for people in their lives. Um, so I think if we can really establish that for everyone in our organization, no matter what role they play, I do think it gives them a higher level purpose. I can see how you relate everything back to those moments, and those moments are very personal. I mean, it sounds like that's how, that's the lens through which you're viewing all of this. Absolutely. You know, I think we can all draw from our personal experiences. You know, I grew up, uh, you know, in North Carolina. All we really have is ACC basketball, but sports was a huge focal point in my life. And now I have three kids, as I said before, and I've been fortunate enough to share a lot of experiences with them um, through sports. Um, and we've been to like so many events and so many games. And, you know, those moments are ones that I'll never forget, don't ever forget, and those things that we'll carry forward and they'll pass on, you know, to their kids and to their kids. And so, to me, I think us being able to play that role in people's lives is something that we really have to um, cherish, um, really have to make sure that we hold that on a, on a pedestal and that we really take care to make sure those are the best experiences possible. Alex, let's take a few questions from the folks watching. We have a question from LinkedIn and Joel White asks, how big of a role does IT play in terms of getting access to good quality data, or is it a separate group that deals with that? Technology and you know having uh, tools and platforms at our disposal is critical. You know we have a lot of different um, partners that we work with provide us um, you know resources, both us directly as the 49ers, but also as I said before through the league. Um, and so we're ingesting a lot of data from a lot of different sources. Um, we have a great team here. We can really cull through all of that, pull out key insights from that, um, allow us to really you know, inform our decision making. And we have a follow-up question from Joel and a similar question coming from Arsalan Khan on Twitter. And Arsalan's a, less, a regular listener. He asks the, the best questions. Great questions. So Joel White, I'll combine these two together. Joel White says, what challenges do you have getting access to data? Actually, let's do this one first, then we'll go to Arsalan. So what challenges do you have getting access to data? To me, I feel like I'm mean, gonna talk about before, kind of like these, I'm thinking about these three buckets of, of customers, right? So the, the, the game attendees or the ticket buyers, season ticket members, you know, those who follow us, you know, more broadly in social media and other places we know are engaged with, and then the prospect, kind of the, the future potential fans, is probably that outer ring, where I feel like there's probably the most, um, most challenge, to be honest with you. I think we know a lot about our customers, our ticket buyers. I think we know a good bit about kind of the uh, behaviors and engagement um, trends that we see within those who already actively engage with us through email or social or digital. That outer ring, so people like my kids, for example, I think that's the challenge is to understand, okay, if we want to continue to build the next generation of faithful, um, what are they interested in today? 
how do they see view NFL in the in their kind of priority of things that they want to care about? Are the 49ers cool to them? Like those are questions that I definitely have. And it's hard to get that information because we don't have that direct connection with them. There's obviously also age and privacy issues to think about. But as you think about kind of for any brand, whether it's sports or otherwise, your next generation of customer, um, it's harder to get, you know, direct, clear information on it. You can look at general trends that they're, you know, they're happening in the marketplace or things that kind of are are, um, are happening, but for you specifically as a brand, or at least for us, I find that probably be the biggest challenge. And we have a question now coming back to Arsalan Khan, who says, in regard to collecting data for personalized experiences, how much is too much when it comes to collecting data? And oh, what about privacy? For us, obviously, um, privacy and compliance is top of mind. Our data collection strategy, I would argue, is pretty light touch. A lot of it is really inbound. Um, again, we're in a different you know, dynamic here where we already have a pretty large fan base, right? And so I think for us, giving them opportunities to engage with us in a more personalized way or more direct way is something that we offer to everyone. Um, but remember, that first step, that initial outreach, um, that initial handshake has already happened, usually initiated by them because they're 49ers fans. And so you already have that common ground, you already have that connection. And so really talk about like data collection or personalization is taking the next step in that conversation, but the first step has already been taken and it's mutual. So that's a really core part of this as well is that you know these people, they want to give you the data because they're looking for something in return. Yeah, or at a minimum, we know that they want to be in a relationship with us, right? In terms of you know, th them being a 49er fan. The question is, like, how deep in that relationship do they want to go? But that's something, again, we leave up to them. Um, we'll offer them opportunities to do that. But if it's as light as, you know what, I'm just going to follow you on social media and leave it at that, okay. If it's more than, I want to be on your email list or I want to buy tickets from you, I want to buy merchandise from you, okay, then we can do that as well. Um, so I think there's different sort of ways to engage. Um, and we really want to allow the, the fan or the consumer to choose that path. And Arsalan is also wondering, how do you know when it's too much? How do you know how much data to collect? You can't collect everything in the world. So how do you decide? How do you prioritize? I mean, some of it is, I mean, it's kind of like thinking about if you ever move, right? And you have a bunch of stuff packed in boxes. If you haven't opened up a box in a month or two, you probably didn't need that stuff to begin with, right? And so I think about data a little bit the same way. It's like, let's get a bunch of information. But over time, if you're not really using it to drive any sort of insight or drive any sort of action or decisions, then that data may not be that useful, right? But there could be other questions that you have that you don't have data to inform that you want to get. And so I think it's, it's sort of this, again, constant um, uh, sort of optimization that has to go on. But really a lot of, to me is based off of real life usage. Ultimately, like it's the so what. So I, great, I have a piece of information. I got, I got a piece of data. So what? If there is no so what, there's nothing you really would do about it either way and doesn't really help you in any meaningful way, then maybe that's not necessary, right? That's a very pragmatic way of looking at it. You're, you're very practical, focused, and organized, it sounds like. I would like to think so. As a chief marketing officer, I do have to balance art and science, right? And so like to me, yes, of course, like in the world that we live in today, data, analytics are critical, right? And they're at our disposal. We have the information, so why not use it, right? Like marketing and sort of the data available to us in my career, I've been working 20 plus years, has evolved a ton, right? When I started my career at American Express, the most effective marketing channel for new customer acquisition was direct mail, okay? And so what we would do is we'd sit there and literally send out like hundreds of thousands of pieces of direct mail. You know, we'd vary, okay, on this envelope, we're gonna have a gold foil on this one. We won't, on this one, we'll put a fake card inside. On this one, we won't. We'll put the unique source codes on there and see what comes back. That's very limited data. 
that you're getting at that point, right? Like you're basically, you're saying, well, I'm gonna change variables in this marketing test and see what comes back. And that's all I'm really gonna know. I'm not gonna know why. I'm not gonna know really who responded and sort of what made it different for them psychologically or rationally. Very little information. Today we have exponentially more information and um, to, uh, to the point that was made by the uh, listener, like sometimes it could feel like too much. Um, but we have to use that. At the same time, there has to be some art to what we do, right? Especially as, and from a marketing standpoint, there has to be some gut, some feel, some instinct that comes into play. Um, and you have to be able to kind of balance those two things. So we have another question that's come in from LinkedIn from Peter Jones, who asks a really good question. He says, what are some examples of changes the 49ers have made in working with fans based on the analytics and the data? I mean, one of the biggest things we did um, we, and we launched this this past season. It's something called Member Inclusive Menu. And so what it really is is all-inclusive concessions, right? So when someone comes to our game, um, concessions are already included, right? So they don't have to go out of pocket and like to buy additional concessions. It seems pretty simple, right? And, we, and we've seen this model happen in kind of smaller instances at things like sporting events and like, you know, premium club spaces or suites, for example. But doing it in mass for an entire stadium, including, you know, kind of like general admission hasn't been done before. And that whole project was really driven by insights about what people are looking for when they come to a live game. They want convenience, they want value, and they want a little bit of certainty in terms of like, you know, what is this full experience going to mean for me from an out-of-pocket standpoint? And so this allows us to do that for them. Um, and so, you know, again, it's, it's small and it's simple and you would think, yeah, why wouldn't everyone just do that? Um, but it's a heavy undertaking, right? It involves a lot of financial analysis to understand, like, how do you make this work from a, uh, from a P&L standpoint? Operationally, it's a huge lift to say, like, how do you get this thing off the ground? How do you change a process that people have been used to for decades and really turn it on its head and do so efficiently, making sure that you're getting 70,000 people in and out of those lines as fast as possible? Um, so, you know, I think things like that are things that we're looking at um, all the time just to understand, like, what are people looking for? What are some pain points they might have or areas that we can improve? And then what can we do about it? You know, I love the questions and it's such a, if you're listening out there, you should be asking questions because man, when else are you going to ask the CMO of the 49ers, whatever you want to ask and we'll answer. So Arsalan Khan comes back and he says, okay, so how did you convince folks inside the organization that all this needs to be data-driven given the heavy lift that you just described that's necessary to make it all happen? Luckily, in our organization, which is, again, pretty small, not that many layers to get through, right? I report to the team president, team president reports to the owner. That's it, right? And so when you think about the conversations we're having, it's with a small group of people, um, and it's people who understand the value of data. Um, and then that's a byproduct of the talent they've hired here, is talent of the ownership that we have here, and the way they've kind of approached running this business. Um, and it's not consistent, I'll tell you that, across the league. I mean, it's just, it's just different because, as I said before, People don't really realize, I didn't even realize it before I started here, like these are really just family-owned businesses, right? Most major sports teams are majority owners of single family. And so each family is going to be different. Each owner is going to be different in terms of like how they make their decisions and kind of what they prioritize and what they value. Um, and we're lucky to be in a position here with our ownership where they understand the value of data and analytics and how those can really help drive a business forward. And Peter Jones on LinkedIn comes back and he says, he's finding this very interesting because he's never heard of concessions included in the ticket price. So when you talk about innovation, that's the kind of innovation that you're referring to. Is that right? 
I mean, it's an example of one, you know, I know it seems a little bit um, basic because they're talking about chicken fingers and hot dogs and ticket prices, but it's all part of the experience, you know, and it's one of those things when we look at kind of the things for us, for example, for a live game attendee, things that drive um, satisfaction or dissatisfaction, concessions is pretty high on the list, right? And that was something that we, that we saw pop. The reasons that, that people can be um, satisfied is either the quality, right, value, pricing, um, or those also drive dissatisfaction. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, something where, again, conceptually, it seems pretty straightforward. Really, it's about operationalizing it and then making it work financially. Tell us about the brand promise. It's a term you used early in our conversation. Yeah. And where does brand promise figure into all of this? To me, it's everything because it sits on top of everything that we all do as an organization, right? And both, you know, what we, in terms of how we engage with fans and how we engage with our employees. You know, those meaningful moments that inspire and connect can also apply to kind of how we work with each other internally as well. Um, to me, it's it really drives the entire organization um, because, again, as I said before, I think that higher level purpose is necessary in order to really give everyone and all roles in the organization an understanding of like why they do what they do. Why do you get out of bed every day? You know, what's going to make you want to um, be here and do the best you can um, do for, you know, your fellow uh, 49er family member or for our fans. It's about those moments, you know, and they're hard to replace. I remember I was, I started in April of 2019, right before the NFL draft. And so we held a draft party in San Francisco on the Barcadero in a ferry terminal. And I was struck by the thousands of people that lined up you know, all the way down the Barcadero to get into this draft party. Now we were picking number two in this draft. Everyone pretty much knew we were picking Nick Bosa. There was no suspense or surprise of what's going to happen. Football season is starting for another, you know, uh, five or six months after that. Yet people were lined up, you know, thousands deep to kind of, kind of be a part of this experience. Um, that's a moment for them, you know, and I think about that, how special that moment is for them, how, 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 how much fun they're having, how excited they are to get back to football, be with fellow 49ers fans. That's exactly it. Like that's what we're trying to, you know, focus on. And so, if we really think about the why we do it, the why we did it wasn't just to like throw a big party. We did it so we create a moment for those five thousand plus odd people, so they could really feel that connection with our brand and with their fellow 49er fan. So, as you're making uh, the many operational decisions that one makes during the course of a day, week, month, how does this alignment with your brand promise? figure into the actual nuts and bolts of, well, we're going to do this as opposed to doing that. And that might be more profitable for us, by the way. Again, you have to think through it in all your decision-making and kind of as you lay out the strategy of how we go to market, either from a sales standpoint or a marketing standpoint or community outreach or game day, stadium operations, I think it, it kind of factors into all those approaches. And ultimately, you're thinking about keeping the customer in the center, the fan in the center. Um, and you're thinking about like, what is the end impact on the fan going to be? Ultimately, as you said, we're still running a business and that's ab absolutely you know, part of the consideration set, but you, you can run a business and still be fan first at the same time. And so that's what we're always trying to achieve. You said it earlier, we have a very noisy environment. So how do you compete against the fact that I can get a great seat in my living room with my, you know, 80 inch HD TV. And, and in fact, I'll, I'll see it. I'll see a better view than I can in the stadium. For us, honestly, like we don't view kind of, you know, live game ticket, you know, ticket buyers or live game attendance in competition with at home viewing. Like we're, again, we're fortunate enough that we're sold out uh, and we have a massive waiting list. Our renewal rates on our season tickets is 99%. Um, so I think for us, you know, we, we feel confident 
that people understand the value and kind of what's special about the live game experience um, and kind of what that means to them. And I think anyone who's been to a live sporting event, live concert, like there's just, there's a difference there because you feed, feed off the energy, you feed off the community, you feed off of kind of just being in that environment and the buzz that goes on. Frankly, 2020 showed us that more than anything else when it was taken away, right? And when people realized that like, I can't go to a concert, I can't go to a game. And that moment when you came back and how that felt for the first time. And for me, the first live event I went to after um, the shutdown happened was a minor league baseball game in New Jersey, uh, where my wife's family is from. Um, so we call the Bridgewater Patriots. This is a double A team with, you know, I don't know, 5,000 seats maybe. It felt amazing. I felt like I was at the Super Bowl, honestly, just like that buzz and that feeling of people like walking up to the stadium and everyone's happy to be there and kids are there and the smells and the sounds and all of that. So to me, like that experience to me holds up. And I don't see that in direct competition with the at-home experience. To me, the at-home experience is really critical too because that's how the vast majority of people consume our hero product, which is the live games. And so we do want to make sure as we're working with our broadcast partners and with the league that that's an awesome experience too. But to me, I never see them in direct opposition. I don't think we're competing with couches um, when we're talking about live game. How can the rest of us that are in more pedestrian businesses selling services or software or whatever it might be, how can we cultivate that, that connection in the way that you do? I think ultimately there's still a reason someone's chosen, right, to invest in your product or service. And so you have to go back to that reason of like why they chose to pick your business, right, your product, your service to be a part of their life. Um, and, there's, and, there's, and there's something to that, right, no matter what, no matter how, how big or small the choice might seem. I know we can talk a lot about, you know, getting tattoos and flags and all those things. And yes, it's true. The way that people express their connection to us is going to be a lot more overt, a lot more public, a lot more obvious than they might with other brands in their lives, but all brands are still a part of someone's life. Um, and I think that's really like the key message is that like the choice has already been made or the choices are being made. Um, and so it is establishing, establishing a relationship and it may not look the same as it does for other industries, but it's still a relationship and you have to respect it as such. So beginning with really understanding why they chose you because they did choose you. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. There's a reason why like that conversation or that relationship is started or why you're trying to get it started. And you have to always go back to that. We're having a hard time knowing, say, why they're coming to us, but we think we figured it out more or less, even though it's maybe still fuzzy for us. So what should we do next? I would say make it less fuzzy. Like ask the questions, take the time to understand that. If you don't understand the fundamental reason of why someone shows to be in a relationship with your brand, then that's, that's, that's a huge information gap because you're gonna have a hard time retaining that that relationship, you're gonna have a hard time establishing new ones if you don't know what's starting it to begin with. You know, what makes you know that relationship special? What's the special sauce that they've bought into or what's the idea um, or the mission that they believe in or what's the product core product feature that really attracted them? You gotta understand kind of where the starting point is and you can grow it from there, right? Like it might start with a very rational connection that you can then bridge into an emotional one or, may, or, or maybe it's very emotional that you then wanna balance out with more of a rational reason for being. But I think if they're not clear on it, I would suggest starting there to figure out how you can make it clearer. You know, do the research, ask the questions, take the time to really understand um, that starting point. So now we have taken your advice. We have a good handle on why people are buying from us, but we don't have that emotional connection. How do we now build that connection? You know, and you have to do, the, do this within reason to understand like how much 
how much of it do you need to be emotional and like what's really realistic from an emotional standpoint, right? Some, certain things, certain transactions are gonna stay more in that rational space and that's okay too. And you can strengthen that and build on it, right? But if some things have an, an opportunity to be more emotional and you can truly pay it off, then do so, right? You think about, and it's an old example now, it's, it's probably data, but like you know, when Tom's came out, for example, right? It was about kind of a quality, affordable pair of shoes, but for every pair you buy, they donate a pair, right? And so they were able to find a mission within their organization to kind of bridge a very rational decision. Okay, these are like stylish, comfortable, relatively low cost shoes with an emotional reason, which is like, oh, cool, when I support this company, I'm also supporting um, people who could, you know, who need a new shoes and are, and are needy. So I think to me, like there are certain companies like that that can find a natural connection and truly pay it off in a way that's credible um, and it's meaningful. Um, and that's great. I think it, there's um, could be other instances where there isn't really a true payoff that can bridge kind of to the emotional side of it. Then don't try to don't try to force that bridge because in today's world, like it'll be obvious in two seconds, and and it's something. Then now you've kind of spoiled the entire relationship because you've now destroyed that trust. Can you connect for us this the trust that you just mentioned with the authenticity that you just alluded to? We have these like, these why statements, these mission statements. We talk about them internally, but you have to really not just talk about the words and kind of communicate them, you have to live them, right? And people have to believe them. And so that's something that's, again, super important. And it sounds simple, and it, I don't mean to be preachy about it, but I feel like if you're gonna make a statement about why you know, your brand or your product or your service or your company exists, kind of you know, what your role is in society, like make sure you can truly pay that off. Because if you can't, then it's gonna fall down. It's gonna fall down with your employees, it's gonna fall down with your customers, um, and ultimately your brand will fail as well. It's just, it's something that, has to be real. Um, and so that's part of it is like not just coming up and trying to figure out like, okay, well, what's our mission and kind of come up with something that feels inspirational. Make sure it's legit. Make sure that you can actually say like, yep, we actually do that. And here's the ways that we do it, not just in one part of the organization, but across an organization. We have another question from Twitter, actually a few questions. And so I'll ask you to answer these pretty quickly because we're almost running out of time. So Alexis Macias says, given that the NFL season is 18 weeks, how important is it to create moments when the season is over? Yeah, it's critical. You know, I think um, we're fortunate that um, interest in the NFL continues even when the games conclude. Right. And so we have things like next week, the NFL draft is coming up. It's been announced now in, uh, in mid-May. Our schedule will be released and then we'll have a little bit of time off for players and training camp begins. That entire cycle is one where NFL fans are already engaged. They're interested. You know, you see how many mock drafts have you gone through or how many, uh, you know, kind of like schedule analysis have you gone through or free agency trackers and things like that. Um, it's pretty incredible. So I would say that the appetite is certainly there for people to continue to want to engage with NFL and their favorite teams during the offseason. And so our job as a league and as clubs is to continue to uh, kind of help meet that demand. Arsalan Khan comes back. He's a technologist and he says, any thoughts on using artificial intelligence on your data analytics, any aspect of your operations? I think AI is something that we're certainly um, um, playing with and working with the league on as well to understand how, how that can help us. A lot of it we've already been using when we look at things like, um, like crowd movement uh, at an event, for example, and understanding throughput and things like that. So there's certainly aspects of AI that are going to be important to what we do in the future. How can those of us in pedestrian, ordinary businesses develop that emotional relationship so we can cultivate 
maybe not the kind of loyalty where the where our buyers tattoo our brand on on their arm, but the kind of loyalty where they come back and frankly, where they love us and they talk about us. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any industry product service that's necessarily pedestrian. I think it's all a matter of perspective. I think it's just different. But as I said before, it's still a relationship. And the relationship is 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 something that's there or can be established no matter what. And so treat it like that. You know, a relationship, not a, not a transaction. Um, and I think if you can think about it that way, no matter what product or service you're in, I do think it makes a difference and it'll show. Alex, any final thoughts or messages for us before we wrap up? Go Niners. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We've been speaking with Alex Chang. He is the chief marketing officer of the San Francisco 49ers. Alex, thank you again for sharing your wisdom and your experience with it. I'm very grateful for your taking the time to be with us today. No, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. And all the folks watching, thank you, especially to everybody who asked such excellent questions. Audience questions are the lifeblood of CXO Talk, and we have shows every week. Before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so we can send you our newsletter and keep up to date. Hope you have a great week, everybody, and take care. We'll see you next time.